Good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Zephaniah chapter 3? Zephaniah chapter 3 is where we will be in God's Word together this morning, verse 14 through verse 20. Some of y'all didn't know there was a book of Zephaniah. Well, (laughs) welcome. It's It's a good book. So take your time. Table of contents will bless you uh, if you need it. Um, As Todd said, I'm I'm Evan. I'm I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Christ Central, and it's really glad to to be together this morning to share in God's word. Uh, It's Advent season uh, where we uh, take some time to to consider and commemorate the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to consider the implications of that reality for, for our lives. Our passage this morning in Zephaniah, uh, we'll see the, the prophet talking uh, to God's people uh, and talking to them in a season of struggle. The, the question from the text, from this book and from the Bible is, can we trust God uh, can we trust that his presence is with us, even in hard times? So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I, hold on, I got it. At that time, I will, I will, oh, nope, nope. Ah, Oh, nope, nope. At the time, I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you that you, you see us. Thank you that you allow us to worship you. Lord, if you don't speak, we, we will be aimless. We will be lost. So, Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Louisa Stead was born in the mid-1800s. She became a Christian at an early age, around nine years old. Shortly after that, she knew she wanted to be a missionary. So she continued to grow, and in her 20s, she, she moved to the United States, where she would continue to seek and study to become a missionary. And while she was there, she built a life. She, she married, and she had a daughter. One day, Louisa, with her husband and daughter, they, they decided to, to take a trip to Long Island uh, to enjoy a, a picnic on the beach. Everything was, was great. They were enjoying their time of celebrating together until all of a sudden they saw a boy drowning in the water. Louisa's husband immediately got up and ran into the water, jumped in, tried to save him. Unfortunately, the struggling boy pulled Louisa's husband under the water with him, and they both drowned right in front of Louisa and their four-year-old daughter. After such an unexpected tragedy, Louisa wrestled with what many people wrestle with in the face of unexpected tragedy. She really struggled. She struggled to, to make sense of, of what happened. She struggled with the, the questions, why me, why now, what is this mean for me. I was planning to be a missionary with my husband. Why did the Lord take that away? Louisa wrestled for, for many years. And eventually she, she landed and she continued to, to follow the Lord and to continue on as a missionary. When she reflected on her experience, this tragic season of her life, she wanted to memorialize it. So as she reflected on the tragedy, she decided that she would write a song. She wrote a hymn. And when she put the pen to the paper, she wrote these words. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, 
how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm going to get an amen out of somebody this morning. Louisa experienced a devastating loss. She felt crushed, broken. Yet even in her struggle and doubt, she, she looked to God. Where, where do you put your trust in hard times? When your circumstances feel out of alignment and devastation is all around you, do you rest? upon his promises or something else. God's people have always struggled to rest upon his promises. The prophets really highlight this. If you've been with us for a while, you know we've, uh, we were in a sermon series on Elijah. And the prophet Elijah would, was prophesying to King Ahab and by extension the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, this was not unique. This, this also occurred with uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom eventually was sent into exile by the nation of Syria for their corruption. And Judah, the southern kingdom, lasted a bit longer, but even they struggled to turn to the Lord. God's people were spiraling deeper into corruption, worshiping idols, Guilty of injustice after injustice. In Zephaniah, he, he prophesies in the first chapter that the Lord will stretch out his hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Judgment is coming. Zephaniah spends the next two chapters detailing this judgment. And then we get to chapter 3. And there's somewhat of a pivot. Zephaniah focuses on what chapter 2-7 calls the, the remnant. The remnant is often talked about in the prophets. Remnant are the, the few people within the corrupt nation of Israel that persevere with the Lord. But more importantly, the Lord perseveres with them. So Zephaniah, he, he's holding intention the day of judgment, and the day of restoration. He, he's holding intention with the Bible in general holds intention, the, the, the wrath of God and the grace of God. So chapter 3, after Zephaniah heralds the, the coming ruin and devastation and anguish, he, he focuses in on the remnant and talks about the joy that's in store for them. So now the issue we, we will see emerge in this passage is, is the issue of, of trusting God when your circumstances feel out of alignment. We see it immediately in verse 14. Zephaniah says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult. Exult in jubilation and expressions of excitement. And already there's a tension in the text. There's a tension because where they are is full of devastation and sorrow. 
and where they're headed is full of devastation and sorrow. Zephaniah just spent two and a half chapters talking about how the nation of Babylon is coming to take the people into exile because of Judah's corruption. And Zephaniah says to the remnant, sing and rejoice. That feels out of alignment. That feels out of touch, doesn't it? The people, they are going through hard times and more hard times are coming. Why in the world would they rejoice? Scholars note here that this isn't just some some random singing. That this type of singing is more like a battle cry. Specifically a cry of victory after you've won. Zephaniah, why in the world would these people give a cry of victory when clearly they're about to experience defeat and exile? And then we look at verse 15, and it's like Zephaniah is twisting the knife, and he says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you and cleared away your enemies. How does that make sense? Zephaniah gives a hint in the next statement. He says, the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. What Zephaniah is getting at here is that there is a king who rules and reigns over all. And he's not some distant ruler. No, he shows up in people's lives. He shows up in the devastation. He shows up in the sorrow. He is in your midst. And because of this, his people need not fear anything. It reminds me of my daughter. Uh, There's a playground in our neighborhood that my daughter really loves. We go there every now and then, and it's a pretty standard playground. You know, swings, monkey bars, and there's a couple slides. One slide is significantly bigger than the other slide. My daughter loves going on the lower slide. And she's pretty scared of the the bigger slide. And anytime I suggest that she goes down that slide, she uh, kind of avoids it. Um, And so so we'll go to the playground and she'll she'll do all the things. She'll get on the swing and run around and get on the monkey bars. And I say, hey, why don't you go on the the big slide this time? And she looks at it and measures it up and says, no, that's not happening. Well, well, this time, I, I said to her, uh, what, if, what if Daddy goes with you down the slide? Will you, will you go down the slide then? She pauses. She's a little more open now. So she gears up, and we go on the big slide. So I, so I sit down on the slide. I put her on my lap, and I wrap my arms around her, and I say, here we go. One two, three, and I push off down the slide. She clamps down on my arms immediately. But we go down and she's ready to go because her daddy is with her. We get down the slide and she starts jumping up and down and says, again, again. And I said, great, you want to try going on the slide by yourself? She says, nope. (laughs) But we go down that slide three or four more times because she's ready to go when she knows that her daddy is going down with her. Zephaniah, he says to the remnant, sing and rejoice. But he's not saying that because he thinks that what 
the remnant is going through is not scary. It's not because what they're dealing with is not overwhelming. It's, it's not because the, the consequences of sin are not crushing. Zephaniah said this is because there is a king who sits down in it with them. He wraps his arms around them and he says, here we go. He promises he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you need not fear because he will protect you in the problems. He is a king and he reigns over all. He is the Lord, our strength and our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Zephaniah, he, he sees this once and future king. He sees him coming to rescue his people from their sin and from their enemies and from all evil. And he says, rejoice. The story is not over. Rejoice. Victory belongs to God. Rejoice. You can handle it because the king is in our midst. Verse 16, Zephaniah steps aside and allows the Lord to, to speak for himself. The Lord says, on that day, and we'll get to that day in just a moment. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, fear not, let not your hands grow weak. Scholars debate here uh, what, what the, this expression is meaning. Zephaniah is likely expressing a figure of speech. Seen a few times in the prophets that, that letting your, your hands get weak is kind of like the expression throwing your hands up. Have you ever been, been going through something or maybe you're in an argument with somebody and you just get to that point where you just feel like giving up? And you just. <sighs> Zephaniah speaks to the people. They're at, they're, they're at this place of just, <sighs> I give up. I just, I just give up. Bad news on top of bad news. Why don't I just give up? To which, again, Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God is in your midst. Why does this matter? The rest of the passage helps us to understand. Verse 17 and 18, it shows God's posture towards our pain. And verse 19 and 20 shows God's plan for our pain. Look at verse 17 and 18. Do, do, do you see how God feels about his people? Can you sense his posture? He will rejoice with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love, exult over you with loud singing. Can, can you tell his posture? If I had time, I would go into details about this verse, but uh, let, let me just say what Zephaniah is getting at here is that God actually likes his people. I, I, I know for, for some of you that just feels like a rudimentary statement, but what I have learned in my short years of ministry is that many people don't actually think God likes them. Maybe tolerates them, but he, they don't actually think God likes them. And Zephaniah is not saying that the Lord rejoices over your performance with gladness. Zephaniah is not saying that, that God exalts over your moral superiority with loud singing. God says, I'm delighted because I got you. At the beginning of your day, before your eyes open and your feet hit the ground, God is giddy. 
So much so about the son or daughter that he made that he bursts into singing over you. And I know somebody is, is struggling to embrace that idea. You've heard messages all your life that you're worthless. For messages all your life about how you are meaningless and you just can't quite shake it. I want you to know that that is not a message from God. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says that you are made in his image. Your very existence is the expression of God's goodness. And I can, I can imagine someone thinking to themselves, can God love me in all that I'm going through? Can God love me when I'm contemplating harming myself? Can, can God love me when I, when I can't get control of my anger? Can God love me when I'm acting out in my addiction? Can he really love me? God, through Zephaniah, is giving an overwhelming, fully affirming, yes, I love you, regardless of what you do. Can you take that in? Can you believe that? Because that's what he holds out for his people. But he doesn't just stop there. Verse 18. He's not just holding this affection for his people. He actually gathers his people to himself. He singles out those who mourn. The people of God, they were about to go into exile, which means they weren't going to be able to celebrate the festivals that, that commemorated God's faithfulness through the generations. They'll no longer have the temple that represents God's presence. And God says to Zephaniah, I'll do you better. I will gather you to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The Lord your God is in your midst. Verse 19 and 20, we see the Lord's plan for pain. God is not just about cuddling up with his people. He's actually on a mission. He's always been on a mission. He is the God of justice. And everything that is wrong in this world, hear me, he sees, he cares, and he is going to right everything that is wrong in this world. In these verses, God is talking to his people that are struggling. They're struggling with mourning. They're, they're struggling with weakness. They're struggling with helplessness. And he pierces into that and says, behold, pay attention, look up, I will deal with all of it. Your oppressors, I, I'll deal with it. I will care for those that are physically, socially, and spiritually marginalized. I will save. But notice 
that it's not just the afflicted that are in view here. He's not just addressing people's shame for the sake of their shame. He's not just addressing the outcast for the sake of the outcast. No, this isn't just community service. This is not just a good deed that will get a pat on the back. Zephaniah has all the peoples of the earth in view here. He has praise and renown in view here. What he's getting at here is that God is working to right every wrong of this world. But it's not so that these people will continue in their own self-indulgence. It's so that, as Habakkuk said, that the Lord can fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. That God's justice is about God. It's not actually about us. Dr. King would say that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We are headed towards justice, but be careful when you think that justice is about you. God is most glorified when people are treated with the dignity of being made in the image of God. God is most glorified when people flourish, but they are not actually at the center of this thing. As the song says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So now, here's the struggle, if you haven't been feeling it already. The struggle we face is similar to the struggle that Judah was facing. The struggle is this question, when is that day coming? (laughs) Or as David would say, how long, O Lord? Verse 16 says, that day. Verse 19 says, at that time. Verse 20, again, at that time. And I'm sure, especially for those of us going through hard times, the the question aches in our soul. When is that day coming? You feel it, don't you? When, when, When tornadoes in December of all times ravages people's lives, how long, oh Lord? When is that day coming? When there is an unprecedented over 200 shootings in our city, how long, oh Lord? When is that day coming? When for the first time in the U.S., over 100,000 people have died of drug overdose in a year, how long, oh Lord? When is that day coming? You feel it, don't you? How long? When is that day? Zephaniah, he he says the Lord will restore. Verse 20. Judah thought that the promise was circumstantial in nature. That it was an an earthly promise. And they thought the Lord was going to bring them back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They were going to see the splendor of their city and their temple 
things would get back to where it was. But then when you read prophets like Haggai and, and books like Ezra and Nehemiah, you, you see a measure of disappointment when they return from exile. There's, there's, a, there's a longing for more as they look at Jerusalem and its dilapidated state. And again, the Lord sends prophets to help the people look to him in that longing. And the Old Testament ends with people longing for a king who will restore. But there is a king who comes. The prophets, they spoke about this king. See, the prophets, they, they spoke God's word, but, but John says this king is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the prophets proclaimed God's glory, but Hebrews says that this king is the radiance of his glory. The, the prophets cried out in sorrow, and this king, he's the man of sorrows. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came and he comforted the afflicted, performed many miracles. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, born into sin that I may live again. And Paul lets us know in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This king fulfilled all the promises of God. And we must be in him to find rest in them. And he's coming back again to wipe away every tear. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So then what do we do in the meantime? we called to oh come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant oh come ye oh come ye to Bethlehem sing it out Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us choir right there. That's a good choir. The call is to come. Come in your questions, in your doubts, in your struggle. Come and adore him. Come and be reminded again and again. Tis so sweet trust in Jesus. Maybe so that we would rest upon his promise. 
and embrace the grace to trust him more, even in hard times. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you invite your people to, to sing out. To sing out in the uncertainty, to sing out in the struggle. You invite us to sing out because you want our joy to be tied to you, not tied to our circumstance. And the reality is many of us are really, really struggling. Our our heads are weighed down. Our hands are growing weak. Lord, you are the lifter of our heads. Would you give us eyes to see you? Would you give us hearts to worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.